The Bazaar is a podcast that deals with mature subject matter that some listeners may find offensive or upsetting. The Bazaar is not recommended for any listeners under 18 years of age. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to The Bazaar. I'm having such a day. Like, I woke up yesterday. I had one pimple on my chin. Woke up today. There's fucking three. I just would love (laughs) if 2020 could let me live. Like, I I would, that would be great. I wear one mask with makeup on for, like, a tiny bit of time. And my face is just like, no, bitch. Like, no. Like, we're not going to let you have this. You have anything rubbing up against your skin. It's a clean mask. Yeah. Anything no, that... rubbing up against your skin. It's just, it's going to, I, I can't. I can't. And I, I don't like going out without makeup. So we're at an impasse. Um, do what I do and just wear makeup from your nose up. And leave the the uh right. mask part of your face just completely uh naked usually that would work but like i was on a date and like we were on a walk perfectly locked down safe we we're outside but i i i please this is no what do you want i gave you your toy go play shoo shoo i've been with you all day go away Pluto or Hades somehow heard Leia freaking out and started. I don't know if you can see how my arm is moving where she's smacking me. I'm going to put her in her crate. I'll be right back. <laughs> how, how are you, Morgan? How? Um, I say as we're both oh, you know. fucking exhausted. It's just, yeah, exactly. Literally first day of December when we're recording this and I already feel like I want to fly into the sun. Um, All right, Icarus. Um, It's, yeah, no, it's December 1st and it feels like it's December what? Like 31st? Yeah. I, not to mention the fact that uh, I didn't know that you didn't have to give the okay to student loans to take money out of your account and they just start taking it. What? Like I, cause that like, seems like have, that would be like a little bit of, they have your banking information from when they put the money in there. Right. Right. Um, so they just they yank just that start, shit out. As soon as your payments are meant to start, they just yank it out. And, um, for those of you who don't know, um, either whether or not you're not from Ontario or Canada in general, we have this thing, we have like a, a, like a a standard, not a standardized like student loan program called OSAP. So it's basically just an easier, like less sketchy through a bank or through like a loan shark way of getting um, Mm -hmm. loans for like student loans for schooling and you get more like grants and stuff and money you don't have to pay back. I say less sketchy, but like... I was going to say less sketchy, but air quotes over the less and sketchy yeah. components um, of that sentence. Being, they, 
they indicated at the beginning of lockdown and like the beginning of the pandemic in March that they would be giving um, like relief. So they wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't be uh, making people pay student loan payments for six months and six months have passed, but the pandemic is still happening lockdown in Toronto is still happening. No one has jobs. We're still in the same place. I can barely make rent. Um, but according to the national student loan, um, they, they, they think that, uh, because it's been six months, things have changed enough to start paying back. So they, the government doesn't care about us. It's my little they, they grabbed a, a hot and sexy $400 out of my bank account the day before rent was due. Um, so that's what they do. They get you on a, they, uh, student loans come out on the 30th of each month, rent. right before you would pay rent. That seems like, whatever, it's fine. I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not prime minister or will ever run for prime minister. But if I did, I'd bring it up. I'd bring it up. It's on my list. Well, I mean, it's like in America right now how Biden is planning on uh, forgiving all student, like, student debt. So, like, anyone who has any kind of student debt will be – it'll just be wiped. Like, that's their their plan. His plan, his proposal is that – no one has to pay back their student loan. Justin Trudeau had so much potential. This is not mm-hmm. a political podcast, but I'm just going to leave it there. He had so much potential. Oh, he was cute. Be, he was smart. What happened? Um, to be fair, it wasn't Trudeau that did this. It was uh, it was um, our uh, it was uh, fucking Ford. That's true. Actually, <laughs> he, we had a uh, we had we didn't have complete free student. Uh, we didn't have free like tuition, but uh, low-income families and low-income students had free tuition for about two years until uh, Doug Ford took it back. Just just swept up on in there and uh, decided, no, 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 no education for you. But cheap beer, we have cheap beer. Yeah, uh, exactly. Speaking of Canada, you know, I just thought you know, let's keep it let's keep it on the Canada train. You you talked about Canadian crime last week and I was like, you know what? I'm I'm inspired by you, Morgan, obviously in more categories than just Canadian true crime. But um oh ah, I forgot. Shout out to Amanda Lynn who's she likes to send uh um our only meme back and forth content between me and Amanda who we talked about last episode as well. Um is she sends me memes about true crime podcasts. Amazing. This one I thought was particularly good from the Beaverton. And it's a fake headline, obviously. Like, it's a joke headline. And it says, local murderers team up to podcast on white women. No! <laughs> wow. uh, I loved it. I loved it so much. I'll share it to the page. Um, but yeah, we're going to go. We're going to continue on the, the true crime. Oh, hello, Pluto. No, it's Hades. Is that Hades or Pluto? Hades. Okay. Hades. It was Shadow, and I was like, is it furless or is it furry? That's... Uh, not a shadow just a cat (laughs) (laughs) all right we're going we're going back out west we're going going back in that direction the crime was out west last time wasn't it yeah well he was from the west edmund or i almost said he was from the west edmonton mall he was from the mall um he was in the middle of the mall broad daylight 
Oh, no. Uh, from Edmonton. It is a big mall. He could have done it. Nobody could have seen him. I mean, if he hides well enough. Anyways, we're going back to Calgary because I thought let's let's keep it on like the, the Western Canada theme of things. We're going okay. to be talking about a series of unsolved crimes that I kind of knew existed, but in a way that it is like a passing subject that there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of unsolved of the unsolved murders of women mm-hmm. out west. And like I'm not even gonna go into I'm just gonna start off by saying I'm not even gonna be talking about Robert Picton this episode. Because that is a well, hello, whoever piped in there, whatever cat that was. Um, it's a very that's the uh, that's the pig, the pig murder, yes. I don't like obviously, I don't like talking about like I don't like any of this, but it's that is a true crime story that I don't think I'll ever be telling on this podcast because it it just upsets me to the point that I, I can't I can't go there, yeah. Um, but the crimes that I will be talking about are loosely connected. Um, and I'm going to say loosely connected because they haven't actually put a person behind these killings. My okay. clock just spoke to me. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Calgary's unnamed serial killer. Oh. Yeah. By the summer of 19... 19- oh, I should say... I should say off the top that most of this information, if not all of this information came from a website called Canada unsolved. Uh, look up this website. It's an incredible website. It has different categories of people who are missing cold cases, um, relief funds, all of these things that you can like donate to um, as well as um, tons of articles on murdered and missing indigenous women, uh, which is also incredibly important. So I'm going to read now. <laughs> verbatim from this incredible article it was a three-part article about calgary's unnamed serial killer i know i know big big stuff big stuff so in the summer of 1991 a young woman named jennifer jans and i i I thought this was a typo at first but she's literally jj like jennifer jans i know i thought that was like maybe like a mistake but it is true um, oh, I love that. She grew up in Calgary, Alberta, in a loving home. She was active in gymnastics, ballet, track and field. So everything that I was horrible at. She was a kind-hearted and trusting person. When she was young, she excelled in school. But, you know, as as most young teenagers do, you get to a certain point where you're just like, ah, like, I don't give a shit about anything. That's what most preteens are like. I know I was like that. Everyone goes through that mm-hmm. phase. The first sign of trouble for Jennifer was when she was in middle school, when she failed grade seven. When she finished grade nine, she dropped out of school and moved in with various friends. Most of their time was spent then on the streets. Still, Jennifer called home all the time, and her mother told her she was welcome whenever she wanted. What? Why wouldn't she go home? I, to me, it sounds like she was like, I don't think she vibed with her parents' like religious lifestyle because this is what it says next. When she was 15, Jennifer spent two months at a Christian Bible camp in Texas. The decision was a last 
ditch effort by her parents and seemed to help. So I, I, th- I don't know if she was very, I think this started as like a rebellion thing, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I like, guess, yeah, uh, I guess when she's, uh, when you're that young, you kind of, if, if your parents are going to be like, all right, you here's can Here's Jesus. Yeah. It, yeah. It's either Jesus or you leave. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> gotta leave. Um, yeah. <laughs> so she returned um, in 1991 to her parents. So at around, oh God, I don't know how old she was. It doesn't say. Oh, okay. Like 16, 17. She was around that age when she returned home. She became active in youth groups and found a job. She then enrolled at another high school for six weeks in February. And she was up and trying to put her life back together. Jennifer's 16th birthday passed, and no matter how much she was trying academically and with her parents, she was always still drawn to the rebellious sort of um, nomadic lifestyle on the street. Um, She continued to wander around, hang out with friends downtown, that sort of thing. Um, In the July of 1991, Jennifer became sick with a kidney infection and was treated at Rocky View Hospital. Every night, her family came to visit her while she was there. On July 12th of 1991, Jennifer called her mother. She said that she was leaving the hospital and wanted to come home for supper next week. Jennifer was last seen walking out of those emergency doors. One month later, on August 13th, Jennifer's badly beaten body was discovered in a shallow grave at a construction site along the Trans-Canada Highway near the Valley Ridge Drive northwest of Calgary. An autopsy determined that she died from a heavy blow to the chest. Like so many other young women in the Calgary area, Jennifer never had the chance to come home. And her murder was only the first. Which is... Wow. It's it's almost... I just... It's crazy to me that... For some reason, that it's highways, that it's places that people drive by every single day, like on your way to work, on your way to like pick up the kids, on your way to go grocery shopping. That is, that is a road that you you constantly drive along. And the last thing you're thinking about is there's a, a body of a person just literally in the ditch right over there. Yeah, like it's. And also, like I'm sure you'll get into it, but I'm just interested in how someone, like what a blow to the chest means, like for. Like, that's such a, an odd way to die. So here's what's interesting. It's never identified in any reports specifically what they mean by blow to the chest. So blunt force, allegedly, I don't... If, they, if it was a gunshot, I feel like they would have said gunshot. Well, yeah. My, my thought process is, like, I can understand how someone can die from a blow to the chest, but I just don't really understand... Like, like what was she hit with? Yeah, exactly. Like, did an anvil fall on her? Like, what do you mean, blow to the chest? Yeah, like, because like, if you get hit by a car, more than just your chest gets injured. Yeah. So, like, what? Interesting. Baseball bat, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to. I'm not gonna guess. But um, uh, Jennifer's murder was the first of many. Rebecca Lynn. Oh gosh, I think this is a French name but I'm not sure. Rebecca Lynn Boutillier. It's either Boutillier or Boutillier. 
Rebecca Lynn, I think it's Boutillier. Uh, Rebecca Lynn, oh, oh, I can't talk. Rebecca Lynn Boutillier. As far as my dishwasher, I thought there was somebody coming to attack me as I'm talking about cold cases. (laughs) She was born in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. When she was 18 months old, her father died in a car accident. And after this event, her mother moved them out to Calgary. Um, Every night... Rebecca's mother would tuck her in and they would talk like her and her mother were very, very close. Um, But Rebecca's childhood was rocky. Eventually she began to realize that Rebecca was sort of living a double life as actually a lot of teenage girls end up living a little bit of a double life, but that's besides the point. Like this was a legitimate double life Mm. in December of the same year of 1991. Rebecca became a mother um, on February of 1993. Yep. So, when Rebecca was 20 and her son was 15 months old in 1993, she disappeared. She was last seen in the area of third Avenue and fourth street in the middle of downtown Calgary, wearing a waist length black suede jacket with a front zipper and which fastened with a brass buckle. A woman who was working on the streets with Rebecca said she might've gone into a car. So it was alleged that Rebecca was a sex worker who was who frequented downtown Calgary at that time. Um, and not that it's a safe job now, but I mean, back in the early 90s, it definitely was not a safe no, job yeah. either. Um, on March 11th of 1993, Rebecca's partially clad remains were found in a heavily traveled area east of McKnight Boulevard and 68th Street. Uh, meters from a pile of roof shingles she'd been stabbed to death rebecca's jacket purse and boots have never been found investigators believe that they were kept as um like a like a souvenir or a trophy by her killer um there were a couple of leads by then um but there was actually no official connection of these two murders together for a long time one hopeful lead investigators had was of three huge plastic containers of canola seeds from the scene and sent them to the federal crime lab in Edmonton for analysis. Cause apparently they had the same DNA traces that were on her body. But I was like, that just seems like really random to me. Like, I don't know if I fully get that. That seems like, I don't know why <laughs> there's <laughs> three huge containers of canola seeds there. And also roof shingles. Like, in what area are there those two things in the same area? I mean, off the side of a highway. Like, because that just sounds like something that, like, or, like, the roof shingle sounds like something that has fallen off someone's truck. Damn. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know about canola seeds, to be honest. (laughs) Right? It just seems like a really strange lead. I don't think that's a lead. Um, But another viable lead was near Rebecca's body, a pile of women's clothing was also discovered investigators actually traced that pile of clothing back to another sex worker in the city who was staying in a nearby motel. The woman Mm. was reluctant to talk at first, obviously to police officers, but she ended up telling police about the night she had a quote unquote bad date who attacked her inside a vehicle. She didn't offer any further details and refused to press charges, which obviously she was in a compromised position. So I doubt that she would feel really forthcoming. 
Like the other women who were murdered after Jennifer, Rebecca had been working in the sex trade for some time. A decade later, the murders of Rebecca and Jennifer were among the first to be linked. So there are several other after these these two that um, were of eerily similar circumstances. Okay. So around 1987 in Edmonton, Alberta is when people started to wonder if there was like a serial killer running around um, when the bodies of three women were discovered within a span of like a few days, a few days and, and bodies started to appear In Calgary, the serial killer theory began with the 1991 murder of 16-year-old Jennifer Jans, but hers was not the first. In August, a few months before Jennifer, Jennifer Joys, I know there's a Jennifer Jans and a Jennifer Joys. I was also very confused. It's the patterns so far are two Jennifers and a Rebecca. Jennifer Joyce had vanished from her group home. She, in 1986, when she was about 12 years old, Jennifer's mother died in a car accident and Jennifer became the ward of the province of Alberta. Um, in October, on October 6th of 1991, her body was found in a shallow grave again near a very, very busy area and also two kilometers south of where Jennifer Jans was, was found. So, th- so far, these three bodies are kind of set up in a triangular sort of way they're all pretty close to each other and they're all pretty close to downtown downtown calgary uh the cause of death for jennifer jans has never been released so we have uh, like blunt force trauma to the chest a stabbing and this death was never released um it could be because she was underage um but i think i I hate to think this, but I wonder if the circumstance that she was also in a group home and probably police bummed it off as a runaway to begin Mm -hmm. with. No, 100%. Jennifer Jans was before Jennifer Joy's. So, yeah. Sorry. Jennifer Joy's was before Jennifer Jans. Shit. (laughs) It's because they both have JJ names. Yeah. No. Um, Anyways, yeah. Yeah, I think probably that is. That uh, that happens a lot. And it's also the group home thing, the just runaway teen mm-hmm. thing that gets tossed onto the fact that uh, Jennifer Jan, the JJ that was before this one, the one found with the canola seeds. Um, Sorry, yeah, that's Jennifer Jan's, yes. Yeah, um, she was a prostitute, so that... Mm-hmm. On, or sorry, sex worker, um, immediately that puts her on a list for police. And that's yeah. why, that's also, I think, the, the most solid lead in this case is that one unnamed sex worker who did not want to talk to police and just said, yeah, I got attacked in a car. It was brutal. Because she knows, fundamentally, they're a part of a system that continues to oppress people and will not support sex workers. So why would she talk to them? Um She's not going to talk to them. Uh, yeah. So what makes this so frustrating is that there was nothing done about the fact that these three bodies showed up with, within a very short period of time of each other. Um, because the, the victim list, the list of, of people attacked and murdered brutally 
by this person continues. Uh, Joanne Shaver was murdered in January of 1990. Shauna Vanderbatch, 20, was murdered in the early hours of June 20th, 1991. And in 1992, Keely Pincott and Tracy Mauder were the next to, to disappear. That is so many people within the span of like two years. Yeah. To be brutally murdered in the same city, in the same area. And like everyone's like, well, I don't know who did it. I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh oh. Oh gee golly. I don't that's weird. What and then continuing to go about their lives. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it's it's shocking that I, I didn't know about this at all. Those are a lot of people to go missing and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are so there she, any, like... Oh, okay. No, no, no. Go no, ahead. No, no, no. Oh, I was just going to say, are there any <laughs> Oh, just wait. Oh. oh, God. You think we're in the shitstorm now. Just wait. I want you to picture a bunch of cartoon RCMP running around like chickens with their head cut off because it's honestly what they're doing. They're not doing anything to help the situation in this case. Oh, good. Keely Pincott was a 29-year-old mother and cocktail waitress who adored her children. She was looking forward to changing careers. She loved makeup and modeling, and in May of 1991, Keely spoke to her mother for the last time. Six months later, in November of 1991, her mother reported her missing. Keely was not found until March 10th of the following year. Her skeletal remains were found in a wooded area two kilometers northeast of Koch Crane? Koch Crane. Coach Crane? C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E, Alberta. (laughs) Off of Highway 1. She was identified through dental records and x-rays. Her cause of death was also never published. So it, there's a trend here where they stop releasing information. Yeah, the way that these women die after mm. after Rebecca's death, they there's they've stopped they stop releasing it. So, but okay. like the other bodies, aside from Rebecca, Keely Pincott, Jennifer Joyce, and Jennifer Jans were all found buried in shallow graves west of downtown Calgary like in an eerie sort of line from each other. Uh, Tracy Maunder, sorry, Tracy Maunder had her son at 14 years old. At 26 years old, she was diagnosed with cancer and had only been working as a sex worker for six months. Tracy was trying to raise enough money to buy a plane ticket for her son so he could stay with his grandmother while Tracy was in treatment for cancer. And that's why she started working on the streets. Mm. It, it literally, like, it just, you think it's going to get better, and it doesn't. Nope. It just keeps getting worse. It's like everyone was walking around with blinders on. I don't, I, genuinely, I, oh, you know what this reminds me of? Have you ever watched, um... It's a Netflix limited series. It's a crime show. It's not, it's like based on a true story. Oh God. Two female detectives. And 
it's about a, a young girl who gets sexually assaulted and almost murdered. And it starts happening to other girls in the areas. Is it unbelievable? I know what you're talking about. I haven't watched it yet, but I think I know what you mean. This kind of gives me reminiscent tones of that. As well as like The Fall. I don't know if you've ever seen that show as well. This also gives me like The Fall vibes. Reminds me of that as well. Um, Both are great shows. Both are very traumatizing as well. Um, Yeah. So Tracy disappeared on October 28th of 1992. Three days later, she was found beaten and also stabbed to death in a field off of Garden Road. Like Rebecca, her body was found in a grassy field east of the city. So we have three bodies that were found um, on the west side of the city and two so far that were found on the east side of the city. Mm. Uh, The only deaths we have, like the – what am I looking for? The modes of murder? The – the cause of death, sorry, that's what I mean. <laughs> um, the cause of death is stabbing um, Rebecca and Tracy. We don't know how the other three died. Oh, sorry, we do know that Jennifer um, Jennifer Jans was, uh, it said blunt force trauma to the chest. So that is five, five people uh, within the span of like two years. Oh, sorry, here's the actual timeline. In the span of 19 months, five women were murdered. Four of them had confirmed links to the sex trade. Four to five. Good. Yep, that's that. That'll, that'll do it right there. Yeah. Uh, the only one who didn't have a confirmed link to the sex trade was Keely Pincott, but she was also a cocktail waitress. So I don't know if she was in similar environments sometimes to the other four. So according to a May 1999 Calgary Sun article, after the murder of Rebecca, six years passed without a murder of a sex worker in Calgary. But like, I don't think it's anything to be proud of. I don't think we, I don't think that's something to be like, yay, we made it six years without a sex worker dying. Like, I think that they maybe just shouldn't be murdered at all. Yeah, literally like bare bare minimum my guy like i don't think we should celebrate it until it's been like 30 years if you're going to pick like a um like a celebratory passing of that title i don't think it should be six years that's pretty bad yeah, no <laughs> that just tells me that maybe the serial killer took like a cooling off period In 1993, the Calgary Task Force traveled to Edmonton for a, quote, serial killer psychological profile meeting with top FBI profilers. They examined possible links between 15 murders, including those of the five that I've just mentioned. But the details of this were never released. They were actually the opposite of released. They were buried. Throughout the 90s, across Western Canada, violent attacks against women of all walks of life continued. Not all victims were sex workers. Um, Also, the murder of Shauna, who I mentioned as well very briefly, she was also determined not a sex worker. Um, Sadly, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So here's the pattern that they seem to have established 
I know you were asking about the investigation. Between 1991 and 1995, I want you to guess, Morgan, how many sex workers were killed while working on the streets in Canada between 1991 Uh, and 1995? All of Canada? I'll give you a hint. It's double digits. In the span of four years. Like 90? 56. Oh. Not as bad as you were guessing, but still really, really bad. In the span of four years, just shy of 60 people were killed. Mm. By 2000, this pattern became impossible to just ignore, which I love how we let it get from all the way from 1991 to 2000 without doing anything. (laughs) Not that anyone's done anything now about it, but that's a whole other story. In 2003, after examining 82, 82 similar unsolved cases in Western Canada, the RCMP developed the project CARE with a K to investigate the serial murders and disappearances of, quote, vulnerable persons, unquote, focusing on the cases in Edmonton, Calgary areas a gross, like a grossly disproportionate number of these cases involved indigenous women. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, we hear about stories all the time, like John Binet. And I'm not saying that that isn't a tragic story, but we hear about that all the time and we don't hear about this. Yeah. Which is so shocking to me. It's, it's insane. If 82 people randomly were, were all in a room, right, which is a, COVID aside, if 82 people were in a room and you turn off the lights, turn back on the lights, and suddenly all those people are gone, that is very shocking. Yeah. That's like three quarters of a lecture hall at Queens. That's a lot of people. Um, it, yeah. I guess it's, I'm not shocked about it anymore because I've accepted the fact that shit like that just happens and people are horrible, but yeah, it still makes me mad. It's exhausting. <laughs> Far too, so some of these 82 cases have been solved um, as separate incidents of uh, murder or domestic violence. It still doesn't solve the problem, um, but many of these cases in Calgary and in Vancouver remain unsolved. Now, Morgan, I know what you're probably thinking, Alicia, this is so frustrating. Why would you choose to tell the story? Like, I can't believe you did this to me um, on a Tuesday (laughs) night in the middle of a global pandemic. But there is something there. There is a little something for you here, Morgan. There is a suspect. Okay. You have a suspect. Okay. So right. her eyebrows perked up. She doesn't look too 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 uh, bad with me now. Um, Hades is also interested as he sits in my lap. Hades is like a man we can take revenge upon. Um, all right. So one possible suspect was investigated in the Calgary murders, um, and he was also involved in um, the sex trade. He was a can't think of a better name, but he's a pimp. Is is that an incorrect word? 
I don't think so. He was okay. He was he, he was like a pimp. he pimped he pimped out women. Am I correct? Yes, yes. He did yeah. not pimp out cats. He pimped out women. Hades <laughs> is like, please don't give me to the bad man. His name was Thomas Niedermeyer. Okay. In 1990, I only Niedermeyer, know one other Niedermeyer. <laughs> I only I was just gonna say I only know one Niedermeyer, and she's great. So. <laughs> Does she listen to the podcast, Kyle? No idea. <laughs> I wish she did just to hear that. She's great. We can speak for all the other Niedermeyers in the world, um, aside yeah. from this guy. This guy sucks, but like all the other ones, I think are probably great. So in 1990, Niedermeyer was convicted of trafficking a 14-year-old girl in BC who he'd met in Calgary. When investigators rescued the girl and finally interviewed her, she was so terrified that she requested the stuffed animal she kept for comfort during her captivity. Oh. Investigators, yeah, investigators returned to the hotel room where she'd been kept to get it for her. For this heinous crime, Niedermeyer served, guess, guess how long his sentence was? Oh, like three months. 14 months in jail. You really have no faith in the world anymore. Not that 14 months is great, but Morgan's like three months. He was kept there for a week. <laughs> Alicia. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we, we started this episode by shitting on OSAP, so yeah. <laughs> also, we literally experienced a kid, sorry, a man getting, what, was it three months in jail yep. for literally being proven to rape a girl? Like, I don't, I don't yep. have faith in the, the judicial system. <laughs> Are you kidding The me? judicial system, it's, we're slowly, slowly devolving into the Hunger Games is what I'm noticing. Um, he served just 14 months in jail. In 2000, he was also charged with 14 offenses against seven Vancouver sex trade workers who were brave enough to come forward. But no evidence was found to link him to the murders in Calgary. Even though he'd been proven with 14 counts of violent offenses in Vancouver. 14. And nobody, there there was no link, allegedly. There's no, I don't know if there was evidence. Like, I don't know if there was like DNA testing. If there was. Either way, he still sucks. Um, Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. According to the 2011 report by the Sister Watch Project of the Vancouver Police Department and the Women's Memorial March Committee on Missing and Murdered Aboriginal Women in Canada, the murder risk for sex trade workers is approximately 60 to 120 times that of the general female population. Some research suggests that sex workers are most likely to be victims of a serial killer. And this is a this is a, a quote that I I don't I, I think is sad and I don't know if it misrepresents all of the sex worker community. It was written in 2011, so I don't know. Um, but the report also states that quote most highly addicted and desperate sex workers are more likely than other sex trade workers to be the victims of a serial killer. End quote. I just don't, I just don't love the use of like 
desperation in this way. I just, ah, yeah. uh, you know, I, I just feel like we're not getting it. I feel like we're really not getting it. Um, what's very eerie is that when I was looking at this case, when I was looking it up, researching it, and by researching it, I mean in the lamest way possible. Like I'm talking Google. Like I didn't go to a library or anything like this. Everything was accessible through Google. At around the same time, Morgan, there were murders going on in the same way in Hemlock Valley. In 1995, within mere months of each other, three women's bodies were found within the same remote bush area of British Columbia's Fraser Valley. Around the same time. All three were determined to be victims of homicide, and because of the death and murder characteristics were similar enough, law enforcement of that area believed that they were all connected. So, Tracy Olajid, 30, was last seen on August 10th of 1995 near the Waldorf Hotel in Vancouver's downtown east side. She was the mother of one child who'd stopped working in the sex trade, but still struggled with a cocaine addiction that continued to bring her back to the east side of Vancouver. I've never been to Vancouver, would love to go one day, but from the research I've done and like people I've talked to who are from out west, this is not a great area of the city. Allegedly. Her body was found on Saturday, August 12th of 1995 near a trail near Morris Valley Logging Road in this bush area of British Columbia. Um, unlike the previous murders in Calgary, she had been sexually assaulted and strangled. Two weeks later, literally within the span of two weeks, 14 days later, on September 2nd, another body was found. 24-year-old Tammy Pipe was discovered on the north side of a nearby road to the first road. Um, she was also killed in the same way um, as Tracy. Before, during her life, she was a drug addict and worked in the sex trade to support her lifestyle. Before that, she also worked as an interpretive dancer and then an exotic dancer. Whenever I hear interpretive dancer, I go right to like black leotards on like a stage and there's like Coldplay playing. <laughs> like I don't know why that's what I go to. I really, I really like the transition between um, exotic. I guess that's not the right word. Um, uh, it says, ex it says exotic dancer. I don't know what that means. It, it, it means stripper. It means stripper is what it means. Um, I, okay. Is, so. I thought belly dancing. That's where I went. See that's because that's the that's the one of the issues with it, the word exotic dancing. Is it's a, like what it, do you it's mean? It's, it yeah, is it's like, a like that is. Term. It's like a you don't exotic like yeah. call it what it is. If she was a stripper, good for her. That takes some serious serious yeah. athleticism to be able to hoist yeah. yourself up a pole. But my thought is like the the transition between interpretive dancing and us. Uh, do you think do you think she was one of those this is what i did when i was younger do you think she was one of those people who just tried all styles of dance and just went nah you know this one's not for me i think you know what's missing from interpretive dancing is some great baseline and a pole 
And then the dance instructor is like, no, 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 no. You're talking about, I think you just want to do stripping. I, I don't think you want to do yeah. interpretive dance. And she's like, that's what it is. That's what's missing. Because <laughs> they're very different vibes. Yeah, no, definitely. One is like all in your feelings. And the other one is like, oh, I guess they're all in your, they're, they're both all in your feelings, really. <laughs> yeah. Just different feelings. Like, you know, I, I mean, one makes you sad, one gives you a boner. I see which one I prefer. <laughs> um, so she was also last seen at a hotel on Main Street in Vancouver. The third victim was Victoria Yonker, and she was also found within the same area. She was rolled 20 feet down an embankment at the end of a logging road. So all of these bodies were found at logging sites. Uh, she was last seen on September 11th of 1995 at a social assistance office at Hastings Street. Um, so they were all in downtown and they were all found at logging sites. So at one point, police believed, that's why I brought up Robert Picton at the beginning of this episode. At one point, police believed that the murders that I talked about at the beginning in Calgary and also these murders were a part of Robert Picton's case that he was responsible for them. But since 1995, which is a long freaking time, police have not named another suspect. And also, like, obviously we're not going to get into the Robert Picton murders, but like, if you're a true crime fan, you know, like, you know, the Robert Picton murders, you know, the pig farm murders, you know, that, like, yes, he targeted sex workers, but he didn't leave their bodies behind. Like, that no. wasn't... Unless it was, like, a... I don't know. Like, a, did this... No, this happened... Did this happen before? Literally during the same time. Oh, yeah. No, so then that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that he would he would be doing this if he'd already had, like, premeditated measures put yeah. in place to dispose of the bodies this this doesn't fit the same ml so at the same time that robert picton was abducting women to his pig farm police believe that there is conveniently a second serial killer running around british columbia and calgary between august and october of those years um the three victims the reason that they drew a similarity between like robert picton and, and like these murders was because Literally for the only reason that they were sex workers. That was the only thing that, that made them think Robert Picton did it. Yeah. And DNA proved them wrong. The only lead that we have today in 2020 is the following. The killer may have lived or worked in areas where women were dumped. Um, so he could have possibly lived in the rural region where their bodies were dumped, or he could have visited the region frequently as it was a popular area for hunting or fishing. Um, Or this person could have been in the forest industry, the forestry industry, the logging industry. The forest. The the woods. He chopped forestry. The forestry industry. There we go. I, I immediately just thought of a lumberjack, but something involving trees because this person had access 
Uh, what's interesting is both of these stories account for a red vehicle. Obviously, that's a very, very loose thread. But what I'm learning in 2020 is that anything is possible at this point. Um, it's a red 4x4 vehicle that the victims have gotten into, slightly damaged due to off-roading. The bodies were also, all, all three of them were wrapped in yellow rain gear before the killer disposed of them. And those are the very frustrating stories of the Hemlock Valley murders and Calgary's unnamed serial killer, all of which happened in the early 1990s. I would just like to say 1997 was a pretty rockin' year at some months, accounting for our... Were you born in 97, Morgan? You were. Weren't you? Yes, were you, were you born? Yeah, you were. 97, yeah. Oh, God. God. I hate it. I hate it. I mean, like, it was a good story. I hate it. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's just, like, what, what drives me nuts is the fact that, like, we hear all the time that, like, the, the world, like, it was, it, like, I hear all the time, like, oh, I would just love to go back in time to, like, a different generation. And, like, I would just, like, love to go back to the 90s and the 80s. And I would just, like, love to do that. And I'm like, um, does everyone realize, not that it's a, a paradise right now, but does everyone realize how shitty it was <laughs> back then? It's still shitty now. Yeah. But it was shitty. I would like yeah. to think, I would like to hope, and this could be so naive of me, so please, and I hope I don't get hate over this, but I would like to hope that if, like, five sex workers in Toronto went missing and were violently murdered in 2020, th that we would do something about it? Yeah. I would like to hope that it wouldn't just get swept under the rug because these feel like they're swept under the rug. I know that we have a, a gigantic pileup right now and a backlog of, of really shitty things going on in Canada and the rest of the world, but like nothing's being done about this. Yeah. No. If anybody knows of some great like nonprofits that go to support um, like the backlog or, um, any initiatives to help sort of spread the word about these cases, feel free to drop them in our DMs because we would love to share yeah. them yeah. and do what we can to support uh, mm -hmm. because this is ridiculous. I think it also, like, I think it's also um, important to note that, like, a lot of these unsolved, like, Canada is especially, um, it's uh, our judicial system is really known for our missing and murdered sex workers and missing and murdered indigenous women. And sometimes those, those two things cross over. Yeah. Um, which is also another reason why, when you mentioned at the beginning that, um, out West has an aggressive amount of missing women and murdered women. A lot of that is because a lot of out West in Canada is indigenous land um, and stolen land that has been, that has been made 
to be unsafe for the people who uh, it belongs to. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well said, Morgan. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe, um, we maybe we maybe we admit that Canada hasn't been around for 150 years. It's technically been a nation longer. You know, we just kind of rebranded it violently, very violently. <laughs> Anyways, this has been the bizarre, and this today was a very bizarre story of just lack of human empathy. Oh boy, howdy was it? <sighs> this is why we need someone. Like, I'm trying to think. We need someone like AOC, but Canadian. Uh, um, Out West, but like plant her out West. Oh, I was about to say, how dare you erase our God, Yagmeet Singh. Okay, no, no, no. He's great, but I'm saying we need someone like that. But like, if he wants to move out West, I don't think he's interested in that. But if he did, does anyone know? Could someone ask him if he wants to just like skeet on over there? Fun fact, uh, him and AOC uh, did a Twitch stream uh, playing I Among saw Us that. the other oh, day. How God. fun this, is that? If this is the future of politics, I'm so down. I feel like, okay, this may be very bold to say, but I feel like a majority of our problems could be solved in the Among Us forum. Like, I feel like if we just got, like, famous people to duke it out in Among Us, I think we would be a much better civilization. Morgan, you're laughing at me, but I'm I'm serious. Like, think about it. Among Us brings people together. Yeah. It brings people together through animated are they astronauts? It's in space, right? So they've gotta be astronauts. I don't know. They're crewmates. Okay, crewmates. Um, and one imposter, uh, who I've called the guilty one for mm-hmm. the longest time. And not imposter, so it's okay. I'm catching up with the kids eventually. eventually of course, eventually. Yeah. Uh, but we do have fun things coming up on the bazaar. We have some fun points of information. I've locked us down not one Morgan, but two guests. What? I know. Oh my God. We won't release who these guests are now in case they decide to bail on us because we're absolute dorks. But well, I've got a couple of people in the pipeline, so. So we have four guests in total coming down the pipeline, <laughs> um, two of which we both know personally. Yeah. It'll probably We're, be three of which we both know. Three of which we both know personally. Is it Julia? No. <laughs> it's Julia, <laughs> isn't it? Everything I do is with Julia. I Anyways, Julia, <laughs> Julia's going to be coming on the podcast. <laughs> so we have we have pleasant pleasant tidings is it what is it merry tidings what do you say like like seasonally like something tidings or like you give Seasonal, good ti- good tidings good tidings good tidings good tidings <laughs> and cheer for wherever you are uh something in christmas we oh. wish you a non-denominational holiday we wish you a happy holidays <laughs> and a happy friday uh good night happy december <laughs>